Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast, the place to learn about all things love, relationships, relationship anxiety, and to deconstruct the one-size-fits-all narrative of what it means to be in a happy relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Yudkin, a relationship anxiety coach who's on a mission to discuss the nuances of love and relationships that I wish someone would have shared with me years ago. My goal with each episode is for you to leave with an expanded definition of love and relationships and with practices to carry with you in your life and relationships on a day-to-day basis. I'm so grateful to have you here. Hello, everybody. I'm excited to share today's episode with you. I sat down with my friend Stephanie Rigg, who is a relationship coach that specializes in helping people break free of insecurity and anxiety to create deep, loving, and connected relationships. She has a rapidly growing online following of over 80,000 people and has worked with over 1,500 people from 30 countries through her coaching practice and online courses. Since its launch in early 2022, her signature program, Healing Anxious Attachment, has helped over 700 people to heal their anxious attachment and move towards a more secure way of being. Stephanie is also the host and creator of the top-ranked On Attachment podcast, which has taken its place in the top 0.5% of podcasts worldwide since being birthed in April 2022. I really loved sitting down with Stephanie to talk all things attachment, and I know that you are going to love this episode. Enjoy. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been really excited to chat with you, and it's been really great getting to know you as well, not just through this interview, but kind of offline as well and seeing all the amazing work you're doing. And it's just so great to connect with other people in the relationship space. Totally. It's um, It's been really amazing for anyone listening. We've had a little um, kind of pod of relationship coaches and we have a call once a month or so. And it, it is really nice to connect with people who are on a similar path. And I think we have like a freakish amount in common in terms of our like life paths and trajectory and age and all of those things and how we've come to be in this work. So it's really nice to um, to have that space. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of leading into a perfect question of how you got started with all of this. I'd love if someone hasn't been familiar with you or your work for you to share a little bit more about kind of how you got so interested in attachment and especially then how you started sharing it and supporting people. Yeah, definitely. So I am a relationship coach and I focus primarily on attachment. And I think the honest answer to that would be that um, it was a personal interest of mine for a long time. And I think as so many of us do, uh, we come to this work first as, you know, consumers almost um, of people looking for answers to the things that we're struggling with. And that was certainly the case for me, uh, not specifically with attachment, but, you know, relationship and personal development work more broadly. And I think attachment as a subset of that was a real light bulb moment for me, as I know it is for so many other people. Um, And so I was a lawyer at the time. That was my life before this. Um, And I was in a a relationship that wasn't very happy um, and I wasn't very fulfilled with my work. And so I think that the more I got into reading and learning, studying about all of this stuff, it was just so engaging to me. And it felt like it provided so many answers uh, to what I'd been struggling with. Um, And I sort of started this gradual process of, um, you know, moving my life in the direction of of doing this work. Um, So that the work piece came first. I quit my job as a lawyer and enrolled in a coaching certification. um, And I subsequently, you know, left that relationship, which is a good thing. Um, But yeah, since then I sort of started to do, you know, coaching work and, and building, sharing content around relationships more broadly. Um, And then I noticed that when I started speaking about attachment, um, it really was resonating with people in a big way. Um, and, you know, particularly anxious attachment is the area that I tend to focus on in my work, again, purely by virtue of the fact that that has been 
my personal experience. And so I feel that I know it very intimately in the same way that I know you speak about relationship anxiety. Um, and I think that when you can transmit the, the stuff from a textbook into language that people go, yeah, you're inside my head. It's not just rattling off like traits and lists and uh, that kind of high level stuff. Uh, it's really going like, what does this feel like? What do those fears feel like? What are the things that keep you up at night uh, when you're having this experience? And also being able to say to people very honestly, uh, this doesn't have to be your future. I completely understand where you are. Um, I've been there and I can teach you. I can show you the tools. I can show you what has worked for me and, and so many others. Uh, there is you know, a different path available to you. And that has been, yeah, it's been a real, an amazing journey. I launched a program about a year ago called Healing Anxious Attachment. And there's been about 730 maybe people go through that um, in three cohorts. And I've got a podcast and, and it's all just been, yeah, a bit of a whirlwind, but a really, really rewarding one. And yeah, I might pause there and, and see if um, that answered your question or if there's anything that you want to dig into in that. Yeah, no, that's so beautiful. And I love what you kind of said about the taking what's in a textbook and making it easier to digest and just the language that people can acknowledge and understand of, oh my gosh, like you're in my head. And I think that's what is really helpful about the relationship anxiety work that I do is that people are like, oh, now I understand because this is exactly what I'm experiencing. And I know that a lot of your content and mm -hmm. posts and things like that elicit the same response. So I think that when we're able to just remind people they're not alone and whatever they're experiencing, it just brings a lot more acceptance to our human experience. Mm, totally. I think that that moment of I'm not broken and I'm not alone is like, oh, it just like immediately settles our system, which otherwise can be in real disarray. You know, there's so many layers of fear and stress stress and resistance and self-judgment and grip and control uh, that comes with struggling in relationships. You know, our relationships really bring up a lot of our deepest stuff. Uh, and I think that, you know, obviously both of our work, albeit like in, in kind of different focus areas, is around equipping people with the knowledge and tools to kind of step into the driver's seat of that. Because without those knowledge and tools, we can feel like we're at the mercy of something that we don't understand and that's bigger and scarier than, than we have power over. Yeah, very well said. Obviously, if someone wants to do a deeper dive into attachment theory and other things, they can check out your podcast and your work. But for someone listening maybe who isn't quite familiar and just wants to kind of hear like the basics of how it might be relevant for them, can you kind of share a little bit more about that and then um, obviously it could be a whole other episode of attachment theory 101, yeah. so we don't have to go into the yeah. more detailed pieces. Yeah, totally. So as you say, it's like a potentially very long answer, but I'll try and give what I think is the most useful way for people who might not be familiar or maybe have heard something or seen a post or something go, Oh, what is, what is attachment? What isn't it? Our attachment styles essentially describe the types of things that cause us fear or stress in relationship and the strategies that we've used uh, that we've kind of adapted to use as a way to manage that stress and fear. Uh, I think that that's a really beautiful way of describing it because there's so much compassion baked into it. It's really hard to judge ourselves or other people when we look at it as, okay, here are the things that scare me and here are the ways that I've kept myself safe. Um, and I think that just that alone goes, oh, okay, I can start to see how this makes sense. And I can start to see how working with these fears might allow me to not have to do these things that I've always done to try and keep myself safe when those fears get activated. So taking it out of the abstract, there are four attachment styles, as they're called. Um, these are not, you know, personality types. They're not diagnoses. They're not fixed. Um you know, it's probably better thought of as a spectrum rather than mutually exclusive, like categories or buckets. Um, 
And, you know, before I, I kind of venture into this, I, I always offer a lot of caveats. It's probably my like former lawyer talking, but I think we always want to tread really carefully when we're doing anything around labels and categories and, and types and styles. Uh, I think we want to be responsible in the way that we use that. Uh, and no doubt seeing ourselves in one of these styles can be extremely validating. Um, it can be this experience of like, oh, that's me. Uh, there's an explanation for this thing. And, you know, someone, other people are like me, as we've talked about, you know, um, feeling seen, understood, not alone. Um, and we don't want to become so attached to the label that we're trying to explain everything via the lens of our attachment style or everything via the lens of our our partner's attachment style, uh, that it just becomes this you know, that, that classic thing of like, if all you've got is a hammer, everything's a nail. Uh, we want to use it as a framework that is supportive um, without becoming totally consumed by it. And I'm probably speaking more so to anxiously attach people there because there tends to be this like, oh my God, this thing is the answer to all of my prayers. And, you know, this explains everything and, and really taking that and running with it. So with that being said, we've got these four attachment styles um, secure attachment style, which is you know what we're all doing all of this work to hopefully move towards, um, is someone who broadly feels safe in relationships. They trust in relationships. Um, you know they can engage in healthy conflict. They can communicate directly. They have good boundaries. Um, they don't have a lot of fear around relationships, and that allows them to have you know, these kind of healthy, thriving relationships. They can navigate the ebbs and flows without panicking too much and making too much meaning. Um, they're comfortable being with people and also being alone. They don't need relationships, but they're open to them. That's sort of like they epitomize this healthy middle that we're all striving towards. Anxious attachment, which is a lot of what I do and it's my kind of my personal experience, is really um, characterized by deep fear of abandonment, rejection, um, unworthiness. And so there's this need to you know, seek proximity to our partner at all costs. It's like, if I'm close to you, um, then I will be reassured that everything is okay. But uh, as soon as I'm not close to you, and that can be literal physical proximity or emotional proximity, uh, if there's any distance, any uncertainty um, that I start to panic, right? I start to fill in the blanks there with the most catastrophic interpretation. It's, you know, I, I always have a running joke with my clients and students. It's like, as soon as there's that distance, it's like, oh, either they're cheating on me or they're dead. They've been in a terrible accident or they're having an affair, right? If, if they haven't responded to my text for 40 minutes, right? Um, and so it does go to these extremes that always have this undertone of, the worst is going to happen and you're going to leave me in some capacity. Mm -hmm. um, and so all of the behaviors around that tend to be, you know, in the vein of, of trying to reestablish proximity. And that can be um, via, you know, the kind of shadowy side of that can be controlling. It can be manipulative. It can be really grippy, um, you know, clingy if we were to use that word. Um, but basically like, how can I eliminate this distance between us? Um, because disconnection or distance feels extremely unsafe for me. Mm. Uh, on the other side, we have the more avoidant person. Um, and there's sort of two branches of this. Different people use different terminology. Um, for the sake of this discussion, we'll call, you know, the person at the opposite end of the spectrum, a dismissive avoidant. Um, and this is someone who struggles with relationships and is really comfortable being on their own. Um, so they are likely to be very independent and quite protective of that independence and autonomy. Uh, they might have, you know, beliefs that relationships tend to be, you know, an imposition on that, an unwelcome imposition on that autonomy. And so they can have quite rigid boundaries. They can, you know, while they might seek out relationships, they might very quickly um, judge or criticize or distance or feel threatened by that and kind of keep people at bay. They might have very black and white expectations around what relationships should be. Um, and to the extent that someone falls short of that, that's a great reason to end the relationship. Um, so it's essentially this fear 
of, you know, being controlled, uh, fear of, you know, losing oneself and being kind of uh, subsumed into the relationship. And, you know, the way that they create safety is via distance or disconnection. Um, So we can see that there are kind of opposite ends of the spectrum there. We then have this fourth type, which is referred to as disorganized attachment or fearful avoidant, which I think is probably um, the the attachment style that would most overlap with relationship anxiety, Um, at least in my understanding of it. You may know more about that than me as I'm far from being a relationship anxiety expert. Um, But this person, you know, simultaneously, you know, wants intimacy and closeness, but fears it. Um, And so they tend to move towards it. And then once they're there, they go, oh, no, this doesn't feel safe. I've got to pull away again. Um, And so it is this push pull um, and they're experiencing at the same time anxiety and avoidance and they tend to vacillate between them. Um, That might be concurrent anxiety and avoidance as in, in the same moment, I'm feeling anxious and frozen at the same time. I want to push you away, but I also don't want you to leave. Um, Or it can be kind of swinging between them. Uh, And that person, you know, is really that they have a lot of fear around intimacy um, and that can feel really frightening to the system. And, you know, someone with that attachment style experiences typically a lot of guilt and shame about themselves and the way they are in relationship. Um, Whereas a more dismissive avoidant, tends to not look under the hood too much of their own emotional world. Um, It's kind of they keep a lid on it and they've learned um, to function without going there. Um, They kind of just keep everything in, they're very like practical, logical, rational, and they don't delve too much into their inner world. Whereas a fearful avoidant or disorganized attachment person is much more likely to be, you know, a deep thinker and to really, Uh, ruminate a lot and try and find the answers because they feel very broken. (laughs) They have much more of an awareness of uh, their, what feels like self-sabotaging patterns in relationships. Um, And because of that awareness and the fact that they do really want intimacy and care very much about the people they're in relationship with, uh, they feel a lot of guilt and shame, but you know, when it comes down to it, when that fear is at the helm, that will usually win out over, you know, their their love and care for the other person because that fear can be really overpowering. Um, so that gives you a bit of a sense of the landscape. As I said, that's obviously very high level, but that is kind of the spectrum of attachment styles. Yeah. Wow. Lots to unpack there. But again, yeah, if someone wants to really dive deep, I recommend checking out Stephanie's podcast or just her other work because she's had so much great insight on this. But I think what you mentioned towards the beginning of the episode is really important that these are not fixed and that they can kind of be fluid and that also Mm -hmm. we don't need to necessarily over identify with our attachment style because it's not necessarily a diagnosis or something that makes us bad or good or right or wrong it's just a way to gain more awareness and so I think if someone's listening and identifying with some of these tendencies to hopefully take that as a permission slip to understand yourself better but not as a way to judge yourself or think that you're doing something wrong and that you have all this stuff now to go fix about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd add to that if anyone's listening and going, oh, I think I'm a bit of this and a bit of that. So which one am I? Or like my partner is like 80% this, but 20% that. Again, I'd really encourage you to let go of the need to figure it out. Uh, I think a much more supportive way to approach this is like, huh, yeah, I, re- I resonate with aspects of that and aspects of that and and just using that insight to go, oh, okay, that tells me that I have these fears and these strategies. And, um, you know, these attachment styles are essentially like clusters describing certain experiences and we are all so much messier than four buckets. So um, taking, kind of engaging with it more substantively rather than fixating on the label, uh, I think is a good way to go about it. Yeah. And have you seen in your work some of the negative impacts of over fixating on the label that maybe someone could kind of um, 
like an example either in your own life or your work that could kind of illustrate why it might not be important? Because I can think of for relationship anxiety one, but I'd be curious to hear like with attachment. Mm. Yeah, the example that comes to mind is I think coming from anxiously attached people and projecting the label onto their partners who tend to be more avoidant. And so I'll get so many questions of like, my dismissive avoidant partner says this, what do they mean? Uh, And it's like, I don't know, have you asked them? Because they're a lot more than a label, right? I can't tell you what your partner means when they say, you know, oh, oh, you have a dismissive avoidant partner, which, you know, by the way, is estimated to represent something like, you know, 20 to 25% of the population. I can't tell you what that person is thinking. Um, You know, and so I think when we go like, oh, my partner is this, therefore I'm going to try and take all of this information that I'm reading online or wherever and decipher them without actually speaking to them and having the hard conversations and being curious about what is really you know, present and true for them. Um, it's kind of can be a way to bypass the messiness of that and the vulnerability of having those conversations by just trying to like reverse engineer what we think they are thinking and feeling based on, you know, our assessment of their attachment style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. I feel like with relationship anxiety, it can be almost like the opposite where people then are so attached to their own label that they're again same thing though not wanting to kind of go underneath the hood as to why they may be feeling the anxiety but it's more of like oh well this must be because I just have relationship anxiety kind of as like a blanket statement but relationship anxiety Mm -hmm. and attachment are kind of this portal or gateway to learn more about your inner world and other people's not necessarily the end-all be-all. And I think that you made such a good point that when you try to label a multifaceted human just as kind of this one thing, it can be really limiting and putting them in this box that maybe they didn't even ask to be put in um, and prevents you from getting to know more about them. Yeah, and I think that particularly with that anxious avoidant dynamic, like slapping the avoidant label on someone's forehead, I think, the unfortunate reality, and I very much try to, um, you know, keep this out of my work and my approach, but the unfortunate reality is there is a lot of kind of stigma around avoidant attachment. I don't think you have to look far on Instagram and elsewhere uh, to see avoidant people kind of labeled as, you know, conflated with like narcissism and, and all of these other things, like it's got a really negative connotation. And so when we're then putting that label on someone else and saying like, you're avoidant and that's why we've got all these issues and that's why you do these things. And uh, by the way, I've got the solution because I read it in this book and, you know, it it can be a little bit holier than thou and uh, condescending. And so I think that, you know, yeah, you can invite someone into the work and go, wow, I've been reading about this thing and learning so much about myself, you know, if you're interested, but taking it upon yourself to like, oh, I have to. And that's another thing I get asked all the time. How do I get my avoidant partner to realize they're avoidant and start doing the work? Um, And while I understand that desire and that frustration, because I have felt that before, uh, I think we have to get really curious about what part of us is wanting to take responsibility for, you know, being the steward of their personal development growth process and needing it to look a certain way uh, to, to soothe something in us. Yeah. And that's where I think a lot of our work overlaps is that relationship anxiety can be, oh, well, if my partner were just different, then I would feel better. And I think that can be common in certain uh, dynamics within attachment too. And I think, you know, we can only control ourselves and we can only control either what we're doing externally in that relationship, like the things we're talking about or the dynamics that we're a part of or our inner world of how we're perceiving and thinking about this. And yeah, I wish that we, (laughs) I wish that there was something else we could say other than like, you have to kind of do your own work or just your own reflection and seeing if this feels like it's supporting you in your life versus Mm -hmm. just trying to get someone to kind of fit into exactly what you're expecting of them. Yeah. And I guess the reframe that I would offer people on that is as much as it might feel better in some superficial way to blame it on someone or to deflect or say, you know, if they did this, then I'd 
be well, you know, everything would be different. It's actually a really disempowering way to approach things because you're outsourcing, you know, your happiness, your well-being, the quality of your relationship to something that is ultimately outside of your control. Uh, so as much as, you know, and sometimes I get pushback from people when I try and encourage, you know, taking responsibility and looking at your part. You know, some people are very protective of that and want to say like, no, you know, they should be doing it and I am the victim. Um, and I understand the pain behind it, but like holding on to that and, and you know, pushing the blame onto someone else doesn't get you anywhere. You know, you, you're robbing yourself of the opportunity uh, to look at the ways in which you participated in a dynamic, uh, the ways in which you showed up. That's, you know, I think as much as possible, if you can see that as an opportunity and go, huh, can I get curious about what that was about for me? Um, not to detract from anything on the other side. And of course, like, we're not excusing other people's legitimately bad behavior here. Um, but I think as much as possible, making the most of, you know, the opportunities that our relationships present to us, the mirrors that they hold up and going, okay, what's my work here? Um, can I be courageous and, and curious enough to take steps towards that, irrespective of what my partner's doing, irrespective of whether this relationship works out? Um, because this work, my stuff is going to come with me wherever I go. Um, so I can do it in this relationship or the next one or the next one. Um, but you kind of can't outrun your own stuff. Mm, yeah, I love that. You can't outrun your own stuff. That's very well said. I can imagine that part of working with your attachment styles and being in a relationship with someone and trying to understand theirs would also involve trying to neutralize what their attachment style means and your own a little bit more instead of thinking, like you said, as the holier than thou approach of, well, mine is better and theirs is worse or the opposite. It could be like, for example, when Nate was very secure in our situation, I could sometimes put the blame on myself and say, well, the anxious or avoidant tendencies that I'm bringing is worse and he's so much better and then we kind of either put ourselves on a pedestal or our partner on a pedestal. Um, and I assume part of, you know, what you recommend is maybe trying to see both the benefit and the challenges of many different styles. Is that something you can speak more to? Yeah, I think, you know, overwhelmingly the people that I am working with are in anxious avoidant dynamics. And that is because, you know, that is a very, very common pairing. Um, and even, you know, there could be different expressions of that along a spectrum. You might get extremely anxious person with extremely avoidant person. You might get people just outside of the center who just lean that way in conflict. And that's probably an important thing to clarify. You know, you could be kind of primarily secure, but then in times of stress or trigger, you're likely to default to more anxious tendencies, which are likely to be around, you know, if you've ever heard of like the pursue withdraw or the pursue a distance, a kind of dynamic in couples work, one person will tend to go in and the other will tend to pull back. Um, and so even in kind of broadly secure couples, you're likely to have some expression of that dynamic. Um, so it's really, really common for people to be in, in that kind of dance. Um, and the way that I really encourage people to look at it is not certainly not competing like my way's better, your way's worse. And again, I have to, you know, lovingly call out my, my anxious people around that tendency to be a bit um, judgmental and, and have the story that like, well, at least my attachment style is conducive to being in a relationship. And if you don't like relationships, you just shouldn't be in them. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we have to get really honest and go, yeah, but sure. You're, your, and I say your, my as well, right? It's it's definitely not a judgment. It's just that that honesty that we have to approach this work with. Yes, like the ways that you keep yourself safe are usually about the other person. So it might be things like, you know, excessively caretaking, overgiving, people pleasing, trying to make them happy, you know, not wanting to rock the boat, all of these things that are intended to stabilize the dynamic and keep them close. Um, because any kind of friction feels like it's a precursor to abandonment. Like they're going to leave me if I do anything wrong. So I can't do anything wrong. Uh, and I think the anxious person can have the perception that there's this lack of reciprocity because they're the one always caring and doing and giving. Um, but we have to get honest about what the driver is of that. And, and there is, you know, a kind of self-serving 
motive a lot of the time um, to that because it's about creating safety for yourself. And again, it's not intended to be judgmental or critical. I think it's just we want to, you know, get really clear around what is driving our behavior um, so that we can make sure that we're coming to our relationship with like clean energy around this stuff. Um, so that was a bit of a, a sidetrack, but ultimately, yeah, we want to say, you know, neither of us is better or worse here. It's not my fault or your fault. Um, it's not right or wrong. And ultimately it's, it's the dynamic that exists between us. That is our common enemy rather than, you know, you being my enemy, me being yours. Uh, Cause as soon as we're in that and we're trying to assign blame, um, we we've kind of already lost because, you know, we can't hear each other in that state. We can't access empathy there. Um, we're inherently going to be in this self-protective state that that blocks the connection that we really crave. Uh, so I think that if we can shift into being like, okay, there are some places where we get stuck. You know, I I want this, and you feel, you know, I I try and tell you to open up, and you feel really controlled by that, or overwhelmed and and then you withdraw and that leaves me feeling emotionally abandoned and like you don't care about me and then I escalate and then you retreat further and and you know we can play that out um recognizing the pattern and together going yeah we get stuck there uh, how can we pattern interrupt earlier how can we create new experiences for our relationship um rather than just you know, reenacting these really painful loops that we get stuck in that support both of our stories about relationships, you know, on the anxious side, it's supporting the, you don't care about me. You don't love me. You know, whenever I need you, you always pull away, whatever other stories come from that. And on the avoidance side, it's like relationships are too hard. You know, people are crazy and you know <laughs> overwhelming and you want too much from me that I can't give you. Nothing I do is good enough is a big one for the avoidant thing. It's like I try and I try and I try and you're always moving the goalposts on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is too much. Um, and so on both sides, when we get stuck in those loops, we're essentially just like, I always think of the visual of like doing a ski run and you're just like etching in like the tracks deeper and deeper every time. And so it just feels you know, we're, we're filing away more and more evidence in support of these very painful beliefs and stories that we're carrying around relationships. And so we need to be able to identify them and go, okay, we're going to have to start doing things differently so that we have counter evidence of what else is possible. Yeah, that's a really great analogy about the ski tracks. And I think (laughs) we can't really undo those ski tracks necessarily that were created, but we can create new tracks or patterns and that kind of leads perfectly into another thing I was going to ask you about and you elaborate or you started to talk about it but maybe we can elaborate a little bit on if you're in a relationship dynamic how to use your knowledge of attachment to benefit the relationship so there's a couple different ways we can talk about this and maybe all of them but like in communication or in the need to repair after a disagreement or maybe in having more empathy for your partner's fear and pain? Like how can we create and co-create perhaps this new pattern or understanding when we start to realize that we're in these patterns that may not be helpful? Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. I think that there are a few things. So I think the ability to pause and and witness ourselves in real time is a really big one. This is not attachment specific at all. Um, I'm sure it is equally applicable to relationship anxiety, but whenever we notice some sort of stress response in us, um, that's our cue that, you know, our body's in fear and our thoughts are going to follow suit soon thereafter if they're not already there. uh, And our thoughts are going to reflect that state of fear. And so as soon as we're in that state, our judgment is going to be really impaired. It's almost like a virus, uh, you know, that infects our our ability to see clearly. Um, and it's this lens that of fear. And, and so if we've got these fears that are grounded in relationships, not being safe, whether that's from a more anxious angle or a more avoidant angle, uh, as soon as we're in that, that's just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because we then go into any kind of interaction with our partner, braced for it. Uh, And 
you know, before we even open our mouths, our nervous systems convey so much information to each other. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever had the experience, but I certainly have of like, you know, opening the door to my partner's room when I've been like, you know, stewing in the background and and I can like just open the door and he, he'll look up and, and just know from the way that I'm standing and holding myself. It's like, oh no, <laughs> oh, there's something here. Um, and it is, we convey so much nonverbal information. Um, and I think that we have to really um, own the fact that even if that conversation, whatever the conversation is, feels extremely urgent and it always will feel urgent when we're in stress, you know, everything has to happen very quickly. Um, slowing down and just giving yourself the space to regulate, sifting through your thoughts and your stories and going, okay, what story am I telling myself? Is that, am I reacting to what is happening here and now, or am I filling in the blanks with something from my past, something hypothetical, some fears about the future? Um, you know, am I reacting to a previous relationship? Am I reacting to something in my family? What does this remind me of? Um, is there anything there? And just going through that process of slowing down and checking in with yourself is kind of regulating, you know, in and of itself. Um, and so once you've sifted through that, then going, okay, you know, it's not about kind of um, gaslighting yourself, so to speak, and being like, oh, it's all in my head and I'll just not say anything. Uh, we just want to get clarity around what is this really about for me um, and going, okay, to the extent that there is something I need to take to my partner, what is that thing? And how can I best express that in a way that they're likely to be able to receive it? Um, and I think that if we have a conversation on the other side of that process for ourselves of regulating, of getting clarity, of kind of going through those types of questions, and we take that to our partner after we've cooled down a bit, you know, we're going to have so much better chance of having a productive conversation um, and, you know, being heard of, you know, being able to listen to them, because I think that our ability to listen um, in an open-minded way is really impaired when we're in fear, because we're just, you know, getting ready to jump in with our next thing. Um, so I think like some tools around having, you know, safe conflict or, or hard conversations in a healthy way is really, really important advice for everyone irrespective of attachment. Um, but particularly if you, you know, do sit outside of that secure attachment, um, no matter where you sit on the spectrum, you probably have a negative association with conflict because, you know, really it's only people with a secure attachment style who are good and comfortable with conflict and trust that like, yeah, things will come up and we'll navigate them and then we'll be fine. Uh, anyone outside of that tends not to have that trust in the safety of, of being able to navigate conflict in that way. Um, so I think rewriting the stories and, and, you know, creating new experiences for ourselves around conflict is a really, really um, good starting point. Um, I think some more like attachment style specific steps that you can take on the anxious side, learning to, kind of carve out your sense of self independent of the relationship is a big part of the work um, that will involve learning to self-regulate from a nervous system point of view, because for anxiously attached people, um, essentially they don't know how to create like self-source a sense of safety. Uh, it's like, I'm only okay if you're here and you're okay and we're okay. And if we're not, or if I perceive that anything is wrong, my system goes into meltdown and I feel like I can't control that. Um, so actually learning to create, you know, to give you another analogy, which I don't know if this works for other people, but it always really like resonates with me as a mental image. It's like anxiously attached people use like their partner's like personal hotspot. It's like they tether off their partner's nervous system. And it's like, mm. I, I don't have my own Wi-Fi network here. And so I need to like figure out how to become my own Wi-Fi network to have my own signal that exists independent of yours. Um, and that's not to pendulum swing to extremes of, you know, oh, I have to cultivate this, you know, feigned independence because I think people can do that. They can go like, oh, I don't need anyone. And here's my new thing. And here are my rock solid boundaries. Um, and I think that that can go to the opposite extreme, but it's just figuring out how to, you know, 
for a lot of people, it's like, I don't even know what my needs are because I'm so used to caretaking and deferring to others and going with the flow. So can I check in with myself? You know, what are my needs? What am I comfortable with? What are my, you know, boundaries? What are my non-negotiables? And can I take steps towards sharing those with someone and trusting that, you know, they're not going to run for the hills and and tell me that I'm too much or that I'm a burden because that is usually the fear is that we, you know, take up any sort of space that it is going to push someone away, that it will be, uh, you know, revealing our imperfection in a way that will lead to the relationship breaking down. So it feels like a very um, kind of fragile or flimsy place to perch in your relationship if you're not allowing yourself to take up any of that space. So that's really like a lot of the work for anxious people is, of course, getting clear on all of those, you know, core wounds and how they drive our behaviors. But you know, doing that, like carving out who am I um, and can I get comfortable? Can I build up my self-worth as a standalone human being um, and then go to my relationship with a greater sense of, you know, trust that I have things to offer and that I don't have to constantly be in overdrive trying to convince you of my worth um, because really I'm trying to convince me of my worth and I'm just using you as a proxy for that. Mm. Um And then on the more avoidance side, I think the work is kind of going the other way. It's can I learn to safely be in connection with people um, and and stretch the edge of my comfort zone, which will tell me to pull back Um, or it'll tell me that it's not safe. And a lot of the distancing behaviors of, of more avoidant leaning people can be in noticing imperfections in their partner um, in you know, being critical and nitpicky and and trying to find all the ways in which the relationship is not right, um, that it's not a good fit, um, and and all of those things that can um, deflect from their own work. Because if I can make it about all the ways in which, like, you know, you've fallen short or we're not a good fit or, you know, you have X, Y, and Z thing wrong with you, which makes you not my ideal partner, then I don't have to look at my own stuff. I can just say like, oh yeah, they weren't a good fit and I'll move on to the next person. Um, So I think like increasing tolerance for, you know, messiness and imperfection, uh, increasing tolerance for disharmony, because I think for a lot of avoidant people, it's like, oh, unless it's perfect all the time, uh, it's not worth it for me because the baseline, you know, desire to be in relationship and the baseline capacity um, to be in relationship is very different to someone who is, for example, more anxious leaning. Um, it doesn't take much for the scales to tip in favor of like, yeah, this isn't worth it. This is too much effort. Um, so, you know, if you are someone who leans more avoidant and you notice that in yourself, I think you have to get really honest and go, again, like if I keep doing this, like I'm coming with me, these patterns are coming with me. Um, so I can do the work here or I can do it next time or next time, but I can't outrun this. Um, and so if I want to build healthy, lasting, secure relationship, at some point I'm going to have to, you know, turn that towards myself and go, okay, what am I afraid of here? And and can I um, take steps towards those uncomfortable things um, and, you know, start doing some of this work. Yeah. I love that. I think what I'm hearing from you is that a lot of this is just a gradual process of self-discovery and being really patient, but also just really compassionate with yourself as you continue to build that awareness. And I mean, lately with social media, it's become more prevalent to kind of do some of this introspection or it's become more popular to see a video explaining some of these things. But I feel like, you know, I don't know, like maybe eight to 10 years ago, like no one was really talking about this at a big scale. And so I feel really optimistic that we're getting to a place where more people are willing to slowly understand some of their patterns. And I think hopefully it will come to a a more neutral place where it doesn't feel like it's all constantly like, here's 10 things you have to fix about yourself now, but just in a place where people can kind of continue to understand habits and dynamics from that kind place and trust that there's no finish line that they have to rush to, that this is just a lifelong journey of better knowing and valuing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the, all of the content out there is, is an incredible resource. Um, and I think it can shape our expectations in an un- reasonable way around 
you know, and, and it's, it's just a constraint of the format, right? We, we both deal with it in, in putting out stuff on Instagram. Like you can only convey so much depth and so many caveats and so many qualifiers in an Instagram post. Um, and so I think, you know, it's why it's so good when people kind of go beyond that and, and are able to work with, you know, us or anyone else. Um, and so that you can convey, you know, the messiness and the depth and the long-termness of all this, you know, we can see like, oh, five steps to, you know, and, and like, I, I say this again, not to um, be critical of anyone else. Cause again, it's, it's language that I use just because of the constraint of the format. Um, but when we sort of say there's like five steps to doing something, um, it's messy and, and it's not linear and it takes time. And, you know, it, for me, like, yeah, I've come a long way and I, um, you know, don't feel at all at the mercy of that part of me anymore. And the residue of all of that still very much lives in my system. Um, you know, I, I still have like the, the impulses, the, the lightning fast places where your mind and body goes when you're in fear or you're in trigger. Um, it's really, it's not that it goes away. It's just like we we flesh out our toolkit um, and our capacity to hold it without that part of us grabbing the wheel and driving the bus off a cliff, right? Um, so it's, I think it is making sure that the way we relate to this work to ourselves um, is realistic and is kind. Um, and, you know, it's it's not a magic pill. It's not a quick fix. It's, um, it's cultivating resilience over the long term so that you have choice. Um, and I think that is not as sexy, but that's the truth. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll be the first to admit too, that I still have my moments where that stress response will kind of take me in this whole direction. But I think for me, the best part about the last few years of really leaning into this has been that it just is such a shorter response. Whereas what used to last days or weeks or even spiral into months of feeling like on and off, is now usually just resolved within a day or within a few hours because I'm able to clearly see what's going on. And so it's not that I'm suddenly free of any fear or stress, but it's more so that it doesn't have, like you said, that same power over me and that I can see it more clearly for what it is, which is just a protective mechanism. Yeah, I think that when we are in fear, everything feels very global and eternal. It's like, oh, everything is bad and it's always going to be this way. Uh, and that is what our fear will have us believe to kind of mobilize us to do something about it. Uh, but I think oftentimes I know for me, it's like, okay, that's what my fear wants me to believe that I don't have a choice and that everything's outside of my control and that something very bad is going to happen. I'm going to be trapped and stuck and, you know, I'm going to die unhappy and old or, or something. Right. And it's like, okay, how can I remind myself that like right here, right now, I, I have choice and I have, you know, tools and like, I'm not, you know, and it's a whole nother conversation, but you know, a lot of these fears got set up when we were kind of vulnerable when we were young um, and they are younger parts of us that are really in fear. And so the protective strategies and the stories are, you know, a legacy of that time. And so reminding ourselves like, oh, okay, Yep, I hear you. And we're not there anymore. You know, we're not children looking around in a family system where we were scared and we didn't know what was happening or our parents were fighting or, you know, being bullied at school or anything like that. Like, okay, I'm not, I'm not there anymore. Um, I'm here now and I have these tools and I have these choices um, and I can take care of myself. I think that is a really very healing shift to make, to be able to relate to ourselves in that way. Couldn't agree more. That was very well said. Before we get into just the final two questions, is there anything else about either relationships or attachment that is really exciting for you right now that you want to just share or discuss? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> that's really exciting. Setting up um, for part two of the podcast with you. Now. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's going to be Um. No, I think that I wouldn't say exciting. I think the the more I do this work, um, the more um, the more I really value the opportunity to like kind of de not destigmatize, but to like 
look beyond those labels. I think that, um, you know, then the reviews that I get for my podcast, the feedback that I get that says, uh, the thing that I valued most is that you allowed me to see my avoidant partner in a different way and stop demonizing them. And all of a sudden we're closer than ever and more connected than ever. I, I hear that again and again, and it is the thing that uh, really warms my heart and gives me so much hope and optimism about the power of this work. Uh, and so I think that that, you know, finding that connection through like laying down our sword and our shield um, and, you know, extending that compassion and curiosity towards someone else and seeing them as a human, seeing them as someone in fear um, and doing that messy work of being with each other's fear um, and having the hard conversations. That is really, I think, what what I would say lights me up most about this work and the part of it that I really um, feel so rewarded to be able to help people with. Mm, yeah, I love that. It's so important. Okay. So this is a question I ask everybody at the end of the podcast, because this is the, you love and you learn podcast. What is one thing that you've learned about love that you want to leave listeners with? Hmm. I think just to say that, um, relationships are really hard. They, they are, and they will be, uh, and so I think the best thing that you can do in building a healthy relationship in choosing someone to be with is choose someone who you want to do those hard things with. Um, choose someone who feels like a companion when things get tough, uh, who you can like really weather the storm with and who you trust to go through, you know, life's challenges with because they will arise. And I think that rather than, you know, looking for, the relationship where it's always like calm seas and blue skies, um, you know, expect that life will throw storms your way and, and choose the person who you want to weather the storms with. Beautiful. Well said. I really love that answer. Mm -hmm. And then just a final question. If someone's really enjoying what you've shared today and wants to connect with you, where should they find you? Yeah, so I'm sort of most active on Instagram, which is at Stephanie underscore underscore read two underscores. Unfortunately, the one underscore version is taken as is just my name. So we're going with two underscores. <laughs> um, also my website, stephanierig.com. And my podcast is called On Attachment. And I talk about all of this stuff and, and lots more there. And I release two episodes a week. Yeah. And your podcast is absolutely smashing it. So everyone definitely should go check that out, especially if they want to learn more about attachment, but just relationships mm -hmm. in general. So thank you so much, Stephanie, mm -hmm. for coming on today. It was great to chat with you more. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Bye, everybody. See you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the You Love and You Learn podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, the more people that can hear this message and it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media and the more ratings and reviews that are there the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.